chapter. And I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me to the book of Exodus. The verse we memorized this week is from Exodus chapter 6, and it highlights one of the names of God that, that's critical and essential for our faith this morning, and that's the name Jehovah. He is Elohim, God Almighty. We saw that a couple weeks ago. And he has the title Adonai. He is the Lord. Not only the God who made all things, he's the God who's in control of all things. But what Jehovah is going to highlight for us today is something that's critical to my walk of faith, to your walk of faith. And that is God covenants with us. He offers himself to us and offers us to be with him as part of his people. And that's not just for Sunday morning. That's for every step of our journey of faith until we reach his throne in heaven. Now here's the problem. Sometimes God reveals himself in this way. And what do we do? We doubt. I mean, why do we doubt in life? Why is it that there are times where we question, where we wonder, where we are skeptical? Uh, perhaps the circumstances cause us to have reservations. You know, God, are you really going to come through? Some of us experience misgivings in life and, and go through trials where we doubt and wonder and some even worry and have anxiety, right? It's common to all of us. I'm not immune to it and neither are you. Why is it that we experience that? And some people are truly hindered by doubts in their life. And the question is, that obstacle is a hindrance to our faith. It causes you and I, and oftentimes it's because you and I don't believe who God is and what God says He is able to do. Sometimes we just lack confidence to believe, to trust. We're like the man in the book of Mark who said, You know, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You ever been there? We are. We're in our journey of faith. It's easy to doubt, especially when the circumstances look like they're unlikely. The outcome is unlikely. Now, here's the scary thing. Satan will use that in your life. He'll cause you to doubt and question if God really is who he says he is. And if God will really do what he has promised that he says he will do. He'll even get us to question whether God will actually bring judgment as he has promised he will do. And doubt will destroy your walk of faith. In fact, James says over in James chapter 1 that when you and I ask of God, particularly of wisdom, because he gives it freely. When you ask for it, when we ask for these things, we can't doubt. We can't, well, I don't know if he'll do it or not. We can't waver in our wondering whether God will see us through. Because if we do, then what happens is we're like someone that's in the, in the sea, bobbing up and down, the waves throwing you to and fro. And, and no one wants to navigate life that way. I want to walk with a steadfast assurance, a sweet confidence, not wavering or wondering, but settled. Settled. Now, this is what's critical. We've studied the attributes of God. We know who He is. We know what He's like. There's a few names that we're considering. Elohim, the God who created all things. I mean, if He created all of this out of nothing, certainly He can take my, my little life and do something with it. Amen? Amen? He's the God who's in control of all things that you're experiencing. Even this week, the things that you have no control over, He has complete control over. And he promises himself to us. That's what we highlight now in the book of Exodus chapter 6. And we'll see even in the New Testament. His name is Jehovah. Yahweh. When we open God's word, when he introduces himself, 
He doesn't just say I'm some powerful force, though he is an incredibly powerful force. He's more than that. He introduces himself by this name, this covenant name, Jehovah. And in order for you and I to overcome the doubt we may be experiencing, even right now in this sanctuary, you have to exercise faith that God is who he says he is, and he's able to do what he's able to do. And where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And choosing to believe, I believe what God says. Now, you're going to see in chapter 6, in a moment we're going to stand and read the first eight verses. God introduces himself to Moses again. And he introduces himself by this name. In fact, he says, Moses, I want you to go tell the people that this is me, Yahweh, Jehovah, speaking to them. This is the covenant name by which the, the patriarchs walked with me. This is the name that anyone who walks by faith has to know God in this way. Why? Because this is Jesus. Jesus himself said uh, in John chapter 8 that he is the I am. That's serious because they wanted to pick up stones and stone him when he made that statement. And so this is critical not just for the faith of Moses and God's people Israel. This is critical for our faith this morning as well. That God is, this is his name. And that name above all names, Jesus, is the sum of all of Jehovah and Elohim and every other compound name of Jehovah that you'll find in the Old Testament. And I need to know that and so do you. Because behind that name stands the covenant promises of God. The promises of what God is able to do in our lives each and every day. Now we've learned about his attributes and now... We know he's faithful. We know he's true. Now he's going to show that and demonstrate that as he introduces himself to Moses and to us this morning. So if you'll stand with me in honor of the word of the Lord. Praise God he keeps his word, church. That's why we're opening it. That's why we're reading it. That's why we're building our life on it. That's why we hear him speak and ask that his spirit help us understand what we read this morning. John, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Then the Lord, that's Jehovah, spoke or said to Moses... Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong arm he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am Jehovah. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Hmm, that's, what does that mean? I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage on which, in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will Bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. Why? I am Jehovah the Lord. And Father, you are and shall always be the great I am. 
And that brings encouragement to our hearts today if we're walking through trials because you will sustain us and strengthen us, deliver us. And God, we thank you for these promises that we find that we can put into our hearts and minds and help us to understand the world in which we live as we move forward each day. Now, Father, my prayer is that everyone before me under the sound of my voice, my prayer is that they know you, Jesus, as the great Jehovah, as the one who covenants with us. And I pray that they have entered into the covenant that you offer us through your blood. God, if they don't, if they haven't done that, then today I pray you would grant repentance and faith and you would woo us to you and help us to realize the love that is reaching to us, the love that can transform our lives. Speak to us, Spirit of God. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Change us and make us new, we pray. And we ask it all in the powerful name of Jesus, the great Jehovah, and for his sake. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Moses is hearing from God a second time. He's had the burning bush incident in the book of Exodus chapter 3. And there we learned when God revealed himself to Moses there at that burning bush. And he told him, hey, listen, don't come too close. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. He revealed himself as the great I am. The I am who always is and shall always be. And it's that great I am that Moses was go to go and tell God's people our deliverance has come. And he speaks to him now another a second time and he says to him, listen, you're about to see what I'm going to do and how my faithfulness to my covenant, my promises are going to be displayed. And though Pharaoh holds you with some power, with a strong hand, and he's going to let you go and he's going to drive you out, but his power is nothing compared to mine. And when he reveals himself in this way, he reveals himself with this name, the unspeakable name, Yahweh, which you, we translate Jehovah, which is oftentimes written in all uppercase letters in our Bibles as the Lord. This is the name again which by, by which Jesus revealed himself to the Pharisees and caused them, them to want to stone him. Whenever God uses this name, he always highlights that there is a covenant tied to this name. He is promising himself to his people to be a particular kind of God and to do particular kinds of things. In fact, we're going to read that in verses 6 through 8, and I'm going to encourage you, don't shut your Bible, but take and have a pen ready to underline the I will statements that God says he will do for his people. Because when God promises himself and he makes promises, then you and I can have faith, we can have courage, we can choose to believe, listen, no matter what we face in life, that God will be faithful to his promises and we can take him to the bank. And we can rest on those promises and know, just as God was faithful to what he promised to the house of Israel, so too he will be faithful to you and I, the church today, and we can trust in him. In fact, the beautiful pictures that you have here of what God will do are reflected all throughout the New Testament. Now, four times he says to Moses, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. But notice in verse 3, something interesting. Hopefully you memorized this verse this week and thought about this maybe. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. You can read about that over in Genesis 12, 15, particularly 17, verse 2, when God revealed himself and spoke to Moses and says, I am the Lord. Jehovah spoke to him and didn't say, I'm Jehovah. He said, I am God Almighty. I am the God that has all sufficiency, all power to do all the things that I'm saying to you. And he says, I spoke to them in this way. But notice, by my name, Jehovah, 
Lord, I was not known to them. Now that's not, I mean, this could cause a conundrum because you find over there in the book of Genesis, it says the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, spoke to them, revealed to them, spoke to them in particular ways. I mean, he even revealed there on Mount Moriah when Isaac was offered up that his name was Jehovah Jireh, the God who would provide. How do you mean he didn't, they didn't know him in this way? I mean, clearly he introduced himself there, but he introduced himself as the God Almighty. El, the one who has all power, the creator. But as he spoke to them, he promised them something. And he spoke it first to Abraham and then uh, communicated it to Isaac and to Jacob and reiterated it to them and repromised and said, listen, these are my promises and I will be faithful to give you my promises. Abraham, I'm going to bless you in such a way that I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to give you a seed. Now, we know that the seed, uh, we highlight the nation Israel as the sons of Abraham. But that seed, according to Paul in Galatians, is Christ. And it's through Israel that Christ came to us. And the blessing was for God's people in the land where Christ will reign and Christ will rule for ultimately for a thousand years. And we look forward to that day. Amen. When he revealed himself and covenanted himself, he promised himself and said certain things that he would do and that he had the power to do it. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never realized those promises. That's why they did not fully know the significance of the name Jehovah. But Moses and Israel, they're about to discover why Jehovah is so significant and the promises that will be fulfilled when he brings them to the promised land just as he said he would. In fact, he told Abraham over in Genesis, listen, for 400 years, my people are going to be in the land that's not their homeland. It's not where they belong. But until the sin of the Amorite is complete, then I will bring them back. That's going to happen now. They are going to know him as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know him in some ways. And here's the beautiful thing. We know him even more through Jesus, right? Jesus, who is embodies everything that he says, Jehovah says, I'm going to do here, Jesus does for us too. And I'm going to point that out in just a moment. And I remember the, when Jesus was answering the criticism of all the Jewish leaders, and he told them, listen, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, hold up, Junior, you're not even 50 years old. And you know Father Abraham? He said to him, listen, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, Yahweh. I am. And he declared there, he is Jehovah. He gave himself that name. He revealed himself. Nobody named God this way. This is what God said my name is. And it's tied to the essence of being. Because everything that is, is a result of him and what he says will be. 5,000 times in the Old Testament, you can find this name Jehovah. And it's a reference always to covenant and the covenant nature of God. So how do we understand God's statement that, that they didn't know him, but now God's people will know him? And how do we know him more fully? Well, it's based on what God says he will do. The significance of his promises and how he will play those out. How they will be displayed to his people. 
Now I'm going to ask you again to take a pen seven times here from verse 6 through 8. It says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And they're tied around four central ideas that we see in redemption that we experience just as his people experienced. What is it that a covenant God does? What is it that a covenant God promises to his people? What are the promises to you and me that are yea and amen in Jesus? Well, the first thing he promises, listen, he promises that he will liberate them from their bondage. Notice two things here in verse 6. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rescue you from their Bondage, you can underline, I will bring you out, I will rescue you. You could circle burdens and bondage because this is what God does. God comes to liberate us, to set us free from the burdens and bondage of slavery. You say, I'm not a slave. Well, God's people were in that day. They were slaves to Pharaoh. They did what their taskmaster said, and that was build my projects. Build whatever I told you to build. And in that midst of that, there was the Pharaoh. He rose. He did not know Joseph. He didn't know what God had done, preserving not only the Egyptians, but also the land and his own people when, Pharaoh, uh, when another Pharaoh was with Joseph. But he doesn't know Joseph. In fact, he despises God's people because he sees them thriving and he sees them multiplying. And he says even to the Hebrew midwives, hey, listen, when a male is born, go ahead and throw that one in the, lake, in the river, right, to the crocodiles. But they feared God more than man, and they didn't obey the king. And as they did that, the nation grew and multiplied. Now, as that happens, Pharaoh brings hardship upon them. And they cry out, God deliver us, God deliver us. Where's the promise to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob? The promises that have been told to us time and again, they weren't realized. And God said to Moses over in Exodus chapter 3, you're my appointed deliverer. I'm choosing you. I'm selecting you. And I want you go and to deliver my people. And Moses was like, who am I? I, 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 I can't even speak, right? And he says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you power and anoint you. And you go and represent me and tell my people time has come for you to be delivered. And so he comes now this time and he says, here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to deliver you. I will bring you out and I will rescue you from the burden, from the weight, from being a slave and from the bondage that is associated with that. And I am going to release you, free you, liberate you from that. You say, well, how does that affect us? We're not slaves. Yes, we are. We were in a, we had a worse master. It's called sin and death. We, we were in bondage to sin and death. In fact, Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, it says that Jesus, he came to rescue us, to set us free from this evil age. Why? Because we are in a spiritual slavery, a slavery to sin and a slavery to death. When Jesus spoke to those Pharisees in John chapter 8, he told them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. It's a picture for us that, that sin is a taskmaster. And, and when you're enslaved by it, you present yourself to sin. And, and that ultimately leads to death. Slaves have no will of their own. They do what their master says. And when we were in bondage to slavery, we really we had no hope. We had no way to set ourselves free. But Christ comes and he takes the key and he sets us free and loosens the grip and the power of sin so that it no longer has to have power over us. The burden and the bondage that we experienced, we can be set free from. 
This is the amazing thing. He doesn't just come to save us from the penalty of sin, which is death. He comes to save us from the power of sin in our lives each and every day. And that's why as we're sanctified, we realize I no longer have to give in to those lusts and temptations that come my way. I don't have to go down that path anymore. I've been set free. I've been liberated. And it's the covenant God who comes to do that for you and for me. He comes and he liberates us and sets us free. You and I can't resist in our own power and own strength. He comes to loosen the chains completely. That's why, listen, when we run the race of faith, Hebrews chapter 12, and we fix our eyes on Jesus and run that race, listen, we we don't trip ourselves up over those chains any longer. We don't need to put them back on and say, I can't change myself. No, you're right, you can't. Christ came to release us from that so that we don't have to live in bondage any longer. And that's why each day I need to preach that to myself when I'm not in church and when I'm tempted to remind myself, in a way, I've been set free. I've been liberated. Christ came and he loosed that for me. He did everything necessary so I could be set free. His spirit dwells within me. And by the power of his spirit, I no longer have to give in and present myself as a slave of sin. I can present myself as a slave of righteousness now. Which leads to holiness and a different way of living. Not only did he pledge to liberate his people, but notice what he said then nextly. Not only I will bring you out, I will rescue you. But notice the second half of that verse. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Now, this picture of redeem is a beautiful word in the Hebrew, goel. It has to do with the redeemer, the redemption, the ransom that is paid. A price is paid to set someone free. It's a picture we see played out in the book of Ruth, right? With Boaz and Ruth. You know about Boaz. He was the kinsman redeemer. He was the goel. He was the only one that could purchase and and pay the price necessary for Ruth to be set free and to become then his. And he did that. It's a beautiful, lovely love story. Amen. But that's a picture of what Jesus Christ does for you and does for me. Man, he identified with us. Y'all, he put on flesh. He came and walked on this earth. And he met all the requirements that were required to be our kinsman redeemer. Listen, he had to do what the law commands, just as it says over in Numbers 35 for the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. To redeem us, a purchase price has to be paid. You have to meet all the righteous requirements of the law. And Jesus did that for us, amen? He came and lived the perfect life you and I could never live. He lived perfectly. If Listen, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. And there's not a one of us in this room or watching online, listen, or listening on the radio. None of us have lived perfectly, but Christ has. And he lived that perfect life we could never live. And then he goes to Calvary and he pays the penalty on Calvary's tree. This is beautiful. To pay the penalty for all of our unrighteousness. Because the law demands a payment. And the demand is this. The wages of sin is death. Someone has to offer that sacrifice. But only a perfect sacrifice will be accepted. Christ offers that for you and for me. He redeems us. And he meets the righteous requirement of God, as it says over in Romans chapter 3, so that God can be both just and justifier of those who put their faith in Christ, in his sacrifice. If you've never done that, you need to do that. We need to realize, I cannot save, I cannot loose myself. I need someone to loose me, to set me free. I need someone to pay the penalty that I don't want to pay. I want to see the one who was perfect, a perfect sacrifice, the lamb, listen, 
the lamb without spot, Jesus. I want that sacrifice. I want to put my trust in it. And it's the amazing thing. It's what Christ did for you and for me. He redeemed us. He redeemed us how? Through his blood. He purchased our pardon. Once, praise God, for all time, he met the requirement. He paid the penalty. So much so that when he died on the cross, he said to tell us, die. It's finished. Nothing more is needed. He has paid the penalty completely. Now, now that we've been redeemed and we've been set free, notice what he says he will do over in verse 7. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Those are reciprocals of the same coin. What is it? We're adopted into the family of God. We become his children. We become part of his family. What a beautiful picture, amen? Amen. To experience adoption. And to know we all are adopted in the faith. In fact, he says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, that's important. Don't run past that. Yeah, they're going to be set free. No, 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 no. See, this is all fulfilled and a beautiful picture of it in Christ. You see, they were proven to be his people when he delivered them from their bondage. In the New Testament, it's the same way. God, the Father, behold what manner of love the Father has shown to us, that we have become the children of God. Just stop for a moment and think about that. We once, according to Ephesians chapter 2, you and I were children of death, destruction, doom, the wrath of God. We were under the influence of the spirit of the power of darkness, the spirit that's in this age. We, we had no hope, y'all. But, <laughs> God showed mercy. Amen. He showed mercy and saved us, not of works we have done, but look at what Christ has done. And when he saved us, he born us again. We were born again. We were made new and we were adopted into his family. But when is that adoption made known? When is it evident that we are really the children of God? Romans chapter 8 says that. Weuthasia, that's the Greek word. When we become adopted, creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Creation longs to be set free from its bondage of sin and it longs to see the children of God revealed and that'll happen when we're all raised from the dead or when the rapture happens. It'll be evident who the children of God are. And look at what he said here. Notice what he said in verse 7. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know I am the Lord who God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Beloved, one day it's going to be evident who's his. It's going to be obvious. Why? Because we'll experience the resurrection from the dead. And those, listen, not just those who say, yes, God is my God and he's my Lord. No, no, no. It'll be evident who are truly his. And that we want that to be us. Don't waver. Don't wonder. Know whose you are. Know who you belong to. Creation's groaning for it, and God's people should be groaning. Man, I am longing to be set free from the bondage of sin. I'm longing to be set free from the burden of sin. I'm longing to be set free from the place of sin in this world. I'm longing for God's new creation and the revelation of the Son of God. And every true child of God is looking for, we're not living for this world. It's got nothing to offer us, amen? We're looking for the new creation and the new earth. That's where this is going to go next. Now stop and think for just a moment. 
He adopts me. He makes me part of his family. He sets me free. He redeems me. He, he not only sets me free, but now I'm purchased. I belong to him. I'm his. I'm longing for that day. And I have something that I'm longing for and looking for. And it's just as he said to them. It's verse 8. Then I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because he covenanted with them. He made a promise to them. He hasn't forgotten his promises. Hey, by the way, he hasn't forgotten his promises as he spoke them then. He still hasn't forgotten his promises today. I'm going to bring you in and I will give it to you. What? The land as a heritage. Why? Because I'm the Lord. You see, this is the beautiful picture we have. Beloved, there's something greater that awaits us. They were delivered out of that bondage and they were going to the land God had promised to them. He led them out of bondage. Listen, not only did he destroy their enemy behind them, not only in their nation with the ten plagues, but in the Red Sea when he destroyed their enemy and the power that was against them. He led and fed his people as they walked through the wilderness. He provided for them and he taught them along the way that man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what we have to learn. That we have to trust God when he speaks and walk by faith. And he brought them all the way and he brought them into the promised land just as he said he would. Now listen, I'm not on a journey, you're not on a journey to Jerusalem, to Israel today. But beloved, we're on a journey to a new Jerusalem. And to a land called Beulah land, to a paradise land, beloved. And listen, this is the inheritance that awaits us just as he had for them. We should live for that each and every day. We run the journey of faith just as the patriarchs did. Listen, they weren't looking for the promised land. It says there in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham was looking for the city whose builder was God. A new Jerusalem. That's what we're longing for. That's why we store up our treasures in heaven, not on this earth. That's why we invest in the kingdom of God because we know it's eternal. We don't invest in the things on this earth and think that they'll satisfy us. Only the eternal things matter. And he says, this is my promise to you. In fact, what's fascinating is when God said he appeared, the Lord appeared, Yahweh appeared to Moses or to Abraham, and he said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me. Why? Because I am your inheritance. Not just that we get heaven, God, we get God, y'all. He is what we want. He is our great reward. He is the one that we live for. And he has promised himself. And all of this is realized in Christ. Because as Jesus has said, we have an inheritance that awaits us. We've been born again, Peter would say it this way, to a living hope. And that living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because Christ is raised from the dead, we now have an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. It is reserved, protected by the power of God in heaven. Beloved, just as God kept his word because he is Jehovah the Lord, just as he remembered his covenant promises that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 400 years later, just as he said, to the day, to the hour, to the minute, to the second, he came out of that land and were headed to the land that God promised to him. You say, well, what about us? It's been 2,000 years, not 400 years. What about the trials I'm walking through? What about the difficulties, the hardships I'm experiencing? Where's God? He's faithful. He's, he's going to keep his covenant. He's going to be faithful to his word. We're the covenant people of God. We can trust in him and know he will keep his word. A sacrifice has been offered. We celebrate every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. When we eat that bread and remind ourselves the sacrifice has been offered, a body has been broken, and then we drink that 
cup. That cup is what? Jesus said, this is the cup of blood of the new covenant. That that covenant is for you and for me. We're the covenant people of God. We should live like it. Now listen, if we're the covenant people of God, don't sell your birthright for something this world offers. We are privileged people, and we should live like that day by day. The people who've been set free, the people who've been purchased, bought with a price, the people who now are the people of God, the people who have a living hope. The world should see that. This is gospel real for us each and every day. And this is what we have an opportunity. Even this week, when we're with family and others who may not have this living hope within them, we get to testify of this and say, let me tell you what I'm really thankful for. And I once was in bondage, but I've been set free. <laughs> I once had no hope and couldn't purchase my way, but God purchased me. I once wasn't part of the family of faith, but praise God, now I am part of the family of faith. And I have a loving father who's demonstrated his love towards me. And as a good father, a loving father, I can ask of him. And he gives good gifts to his children, and I do. And I have a living hope. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of promise here in this world. Huh, right? But, oh, I got a living hope. And there's a lot of eternal promise. And we should model this, not only to our children and grandchildren, but we display it to the world around us so that our faces just radiate. And we know, hey, I looked unto the Lord and he heard me. That's what they did. Now, here's a sad thing. They didn't do that. Because the sad part's verse 9. Look at verse 9. So, Moses spoke thus. Well, what's the thus? God's remembered his covenant. Jehovah, the one who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will deliver us. He will bring us out. He will rescue us. He will redeem us. He will take us as his people. He will be our God. He will bring us into the land. He will give it to us. Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. And then I underline this phrase. But they did not heed Moses. Unbelief, doubt, questioning, wondering, wrestling. He didn't believe the word. He spoke. Do you? Do we? Do we say yay and amen to the promises of God? Do we believe what the word tells us? Listen, they did it because of the anguish of their spirit, the cruel bondage that they were under. It was hard times. It was difficulty. Make bricks and build my buildings. Remember, Moses tried to deliver one that was being beaten. Killed an Egyptian, right? That's why he had to flee for his life. He didn't like the hardship that he saw God's people were under. Some didn't listen. You say, well, they had reason to doubt. No, they didn't. No. Listen, this is the hard part we learn at Thanksgiving, right? Can we give thanks for all things? Blessed be the name of the Lord is what they sang. When, when the sun's shining down on me, blessed be the Lord. We can do that, can't we? But when there's pain and the suffering, can we bless the Lord? That's the, that's the test, isn't it? That's really the cup of suffering. And yet you stop and you think the promises of what Christ has done for us. Because he, listen, with an outstretched arm, with a powerful hand, Reach down to save us. Listen, when he reached down, he didn't reach, he reached down as if he reached out this wide. Even what's fascinating is even before, the night before in Gethsemane, 
I mean, when it says here back in verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. God's judgments were upon Pharaoh and upon the world that didn't believe. And he, he executed his wrath in so many ways. And, and, and then he gave his people their wages when they left. Just ask the Egyptians and they'll give you. And God rewarded them. And, and all that was to be used leverage for the tabernacle for the worship of God. You see, stewarding what you have for the kingdom of God is a principle. It's all throughout Scripture. What I have, what I've been entrusted with, is not mine. I'm a steward of it. But it's for the glory of God, for worship. And to make worship possible in the hearts of others', others uh, hearts. But with an outstretched arm and with judgments, he did this. When Christ died for us, he didn't just, God reached down with an outstretched arm to you and me and that in the hand. They were pierced. But what about the judgments? Oh, there was judgment. Christ took it all for us. Amen. Stop and think about this. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times he said what? Lord, if this cup can pass from me, may it be. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What was that cup? What was that cup? It was the cup of God's wrath. That he drank every last drop for you and for me. Everything my sin, no matter small how big my sin is, how many there are. He drank every last drop. Why? Because we don't now have to worry about the wrath of God. It's not against us. Why? Because Christ has done everything. Do you believe that? Or do you doubt? You see, Moses said the people, they didn't heed. Look at verse 12. They, they didn't heed. The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then is Pharaoh going to heed me? For, for I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And the Lord spoke to him in verse 13. Moses and Aaron, and he gave him a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Yeah, they doubted because of their hardships as slaves, tough things, rough things, difficult things they were going through. But God had spoken. That's all it takes, y'all. That's all it takes. God speaks. And I have to choose to hear and listen and obey what God says. I know some say, well, it's been 2,000 years since he was here. Do you doubt? Peter says you will in the end times. Some will. Peter says, some are going to question, where's the promise of his coming? Where is it? We've been waiting. Everything just goes on the same as it's always been. It's been 2,000 years. Where is it? Peter says, don't be surprised by that when that happens and people question. Because you know, a day with the Lord is as 1,000 years. God's got his timetable. God, we've studied the attributes. He's true. He's faithful. He's consistent to what he's, he will bring it to pass. Amen and amen. And his promises for you and for me are yea and amen in Christ. And that's a promise we need to embrace today. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then today's the day to do it. Today's the day I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus died for me. And I want to put my trust, not in myself, I want to trust in his sacrifice to save me from my sin. Maybe you've wavered in some unbelief and some doubt. And, and you realize today, man, I have not been focusing on the word. I've not been listening to what God says. I've not been building my life on God's truth. But man, today I want to just do that. Lord, forgive me. I repent. God, I realize you've redeemed me. You've rescued me. You've made me part of your family. And there's a living hope that I have and an inheritance that awaits me. God, help me to live for that. Maybe we just need to repent right there in the pew or here on the altar. 
Maybe you want to come and lay someone on the Lord, uh, before the Lord here on the altar and say, listen, I'm going to be around uh, a family member, a friend this week, and I want to just have the opportunity, Lord, just to share with them why I'm thankful, why I'm grateful to be part of your family. And Lord, just would you just open that conversation this week. And, and I, want to, I also want to be found faithful. Give me the courage and the boldness to speak that word that needs to be heard. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the altar's open for those who need to make decisions. Maybe God's led you here to South River Baptist Church to plant your life and be part of this community of faith. We're just going to extend and reach out into those, this world around us and say, listen, there's living hope in Jesus. You can trust in Him. You can look to Him and be saved. And you can have an eternal living hope abiding within your heart. It's a time when we make decisions. Don't doubt. Please don't doubt like Israel did. Please heed what God says. Please respond to the Spirit speaking to your heart today. Please yield today and allow God to transform your life. He can do it. The power of that word. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek.